Hello, and welcome to the weekly podcast of C2 Church in Columbia, Missouri. It was a sermon above all sermons. No sermon before or after this sermon even comes close. If you were to recite this sermon at a slow, moderate pace, it would take about 20 minutes to repeat these powerful words. In this sermon, there is 104 verses. How much truth that we're still learning from today. It's the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is laying it down. He's laying it down. Where was this sermon? Many believe this sermon was on a hill. If you're familiar with our property back here, place where we have our soccer tournaments and stuff like that, it kind of fades down like a hill. Of course, the place where Jesus preached was much bigger than this. This place was called by scholars. They believe that it was the Mount of Beatitudes. In this sermon, scholars believe that it was like I got licensed with the Assemblies of God, and we had the licensing ceremony. And Frank Cargill, who was the, the pastor for the district in Oklahoma, basically gave us a sermon and charged us as a minister. And this sermon was like this. For the disciples, Jesus was teaching them the principles of the kingdom. This sermon was special. One reason why it was special, because it started with blessings. It started with blessings. In contrast to the Old Testament, which ended in curses. And Malachi says, unless the parent's heart turns and the children's heart turn to each other, there will be a curse in the land. But this sermon started with a blessing. I mean, this sermon was so like the bomb.com that after people heard it, they were like, oh, man, we never heard anything like that before. Wow. Guess what it was? Jesus laid it down. It was a mic drop. This sermon I'm telling you, we're still learning. We're still trying to wrap our minds around what he was saying. And we can't cover everything in the sermon, of course, but we're going to zero in in one passage, one passage. But before we do, I want to introduce myself. I'm L.T. Bowens. I'm the worship pastor here, and I'm just so happy to be here in Columbia, Missouri. I want to give a shout-out to the worship team. They did amazing. Can we give them a hand? Woo! But I want to share a verse. It's in Matthew 7, 28. It says, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Let's go to our main 
passage. It's in Matthew 5. Matthew 5. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will that get you? Are you not even are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? Be perfect. Therefore, as your father, your heavenly father, is perfect. Now, let me give you a little picture of what was going on this time. The religious leaders were stacking the deck. They were stacking the deck because they were trying to, they were adding to the law and create a situation where they kept up their outside persona, their outside image. And basically, these leaders were trusting in their own righteousness. And they would teach, and this is what Jesus is coming up against, and flipping this religious system on its head and saying, you know what, you have heard it said that you can hate your enemy. And these, these leaders were saying, you know, it's part of God's judgment if you hate your enemy. And Jesus was like, no, that ain't what, that's not the heart of our father. And one thing that I've been learning is I think sometimes we think because we're in God's grace and it's just the New Testament that it's easier to do things in our own strength because of grace. But Jesus took it up a notch. I don't want you to be mistaken any time that it's because of you, because of your, your awesomeness, that you're, able, <laughs> that you're able to do what I'm calling you to do. I want you to trust in my righteousness. If you read the Sermon on the Mount, it has a theme. And you see this theme is Jesus was saying, focus on the inward. Don't be concerned about trying to make yourself look good on the outside, but focus on the inward. And Jesus took it up a notch because, you know, we have trouble loving our own kids sometimes, them children. It is, I mean, loving our own friends, loving our own spouse. Sometimes it's hard to love. But Jesus said, no, no, no. I want you to love your enemies too. The ones that are treating you bad, the ones that slapped you in the face, I want you to love them too. So how do we learn to have this type of mature love that Jesus was talking about? I believe we need to address one word in here in order for us to be able to understand the heart of what Jesus was saying. And that is the word when he said, and you must be perfect. Perfect? Perfect? So (laughs) sometimes when we're studying the, the Bible, we put on our... American lenses, and we start 
reading into our American-type culture. But oftentimes, you know, them folks ain't Americans. So they think different, the culture's different. So let me tell you, putting on my American, like normal, when, when somebody says, be perfect or something's perfect, I'm like, oh, man, like if you had a good steak. Anybody like a good steak? Mm. It was perfect. It didn't need nothing else. It was great. Or if you go on this great vacation, it was everything I needed. It was complete. It was perfect. But this is negative ways sometimes we look at the word perfection that gets us off. That gets us off. Let me explain a little bit about the negative perfection, perfectionism. And I learned about this about four years ago. And this mentor just started breaking it down to me and team. And perfectionism is our yearning to have things perfect like it was before the fall. So a lot of men probably use electric razors to shave their facial hair. And, but if you drop this, this electric razor and start using it, sometimes it snags, right? Y'all ever had that happen? Anybody use it? Man, oh man, why I want to use you? Anyway, so, but that's how we are. There's been a fall. We work, but sometimes we don't quite work like we think we should. Man, we should be perfect. I should be doing this right. I should be already complete. I should be, I should be doing this. It's like a snag, like that snag. We feel this nag like I'm supposed to be perfect. But the key is any pursuit to be perfect without Christ brings death. Pastor Jeremy talked about this this awesome statement that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The way for perfection is through Jesus. Let me show you how, share how this plays out even in our society. Remember Hitler? What did he want? He wanted a perfect society. He wanted a perfect race, right? But he did it without Jesus, and it brought a lot of death and this same thing happens with us. If we're viewing this from a religious, like the Pharisees did, because, you know, they had it all together. You know, they had what I call the destination disease. They had already arrived. And perfectionism, I believe God wants us to stay on this a little bit. Perfectionism will totally take us out of God's heart of what he wants to do. There's this quote by Ann Voskamp, and it says, perfection is slow death by self, like a frog in a kettle. You know, you just kind of turn it up a little bit, a little bit, and then this frog can die. And the same thing happens with us sometimes when we have on our religious lenses looking at things that we can cause ourselves to take away the life and the joy that God's given us. There's another quote 
about perfectionism. I like it. It's the, it says one of the highest forms of self-abuse. So when Jesus was saying you must be per- perfect, he wasn't talking about, you know, you need to be already arrived. What he was saying is you need to be in the process of growth in your time. Amen? There's, I love how the Amplified, Matthew 5, 48 and the Amplified, it really gives the essence. You, therefore, will be perfect growing into spiritual maturity, both in mind and character, actively integrating godly values into your daily life as your heavenly father is perfect. So when he says, I want you to be perfect, he's saying, I want you to be mature. There's a picture I found. And this is how sometimes we treat ourselves. It says, I see your dad is still yelling at you from the stand. Yeah, he thinks I'm going pro next year. <laughs> but the, the negative look, view of perfectionism says that we're already supposed to. Why are you dealing with that, LT? You're supposed to be already perfect, right? But that's not God's spirit. God's spirit is, I got you in a path of growth. I'm patient with you. You just keep growing, bro. You just keep growing, man. Keep growing. And I'm going to help you. Because it's not going to be in your righteousness. It's not going to be because you're so perfect and odor-free. It's going to be because I give you the grace to do it. You know, some churches have golf carts to help people you know, come, you know, get to the church, get to the doors. And God gave me this picture that these golf carts are like God's grace. And sometimes God's grace, you know, somebody say, hey, you need to ride? Get, you need to ride? No, I'm good. I'm good. That's how we do grace sometimes. Jesus is like, hey, man, you need some help? No, I'm good. I'm good. I want to do it in my own strength. So how do we learn how to have this mature love that God was telling us about because it's very important. Jesus said in this same epic sermon, the mic drop, he said, you, you shall be salt and light. Could you imagine living on earth with no, no light? Not even from the sun, not electricity. We'd be bumping into each other, right? But that's how the world is without if we remove the church, the world will be walking in spiritual darkness with no hope. We're the hope for this world. He gave us influence. He said, you, you, you're supposed to be salt. Salt is pretty cool. I mean, if you put salt in, in boiling water, it causes it to boil faster. I had an experiment when I was finishing up my bachelor's. I had to take two glasses of water, one with salt, one with not, and the one that had salt in it, it took it longer to freeze. Can you imagine what God is trying to say here? He said, because you're present in the earth, I cause the world's heart towards me to be less cold. And we're holding them back from a destruction. Salt preserves Salt gives flavor. Who likes flavor? I like flavor. <laughs> Got to have some flavor in that steak. 
salt, <laughs> I'm sorry, salt, it purifies, it, it helps to heal wounds. So this is what God, God is saying, as you learn how to love maturely, you will be salt and light. So this is very important. So what's the first thing we need to do in order to learn how to walk in this mature love? And the first thing is to learn how to bless those who curse you. Anybody ever heard of LL Cool J? Remember the song? Mama said, knock you out. So I'm going to knock you out. You know, we can't be like that, right? We can't be like that. <laughs> but sometimes when, some, when somebody does it, we're like, man, you know. Wanna. But Jesus tells us, by my righteousness, by my grace, you can learn how to love your enemy. And I had a leader that I really looked up to, really looked up to. He was like a mentor to me, and he did some things to hurt me. And L.T. Bowens, you know, who's perfect and odor-free, was having trouble forgiving and I felt God saying, hey, man, you need to give it up. You need to let it go. And I was like, no, if I hold on to it, I will keep an edge on the situation. Because I got to protect myself. You know, I got to keep an edge. And finally, felt like Jacob, you know, wrestling. I had no other choice. I was like, God, you know, what's going on? He's like, man, you ain't forgave. You need to bless him. And he started teaching me. He said, if you, if you bless him, you know what it does? It takes the sting of that offense from your emotions. It draws it out. It's a process sometimes, but it, as you bless them, even under your breath, God bless them. It's hard to be angry at somebody that you pray for and that you're blessing, right? And I, I saw this quote. It says, don't forgive people because they deserve it. Forgive people because you deserve peace. You know that? Jesus wore a crown of thorns. They shoved it down on his, on his head. And I believe that represents the peace that God, that Jesus paid for. Free and clear, he paid for it. But sometimes we live below those privileges because we want to hold on to things. And there's a blessing when we bless those who curse us. There's a blessing. The second thing we need to do is learn God's character. Learn God's character. I'm going to tell you another, like, not so happy story about me. So there's a time where I was struggling to understand God's self, who I was in Christ, because I was wrapped up in perfectionism. By the way, going back to that last point, because I finally gave up, it caused me to continue in my maturing process. And can you imagine if I never, if I never, by God's grace, released that, I would have been missing something. I would have had some spiritual defects. 
and I wouldn't be the type of perfect that Jesus was saying. I want you to be mature. Keep growing, just like a fruit grows and matures and ripens. Keep growing. So the next thing is learn God's character. So I'm from Miami, and a lot of times once people find out where I'm at, where I'm from, they say, so, so you're a Miami Dolphins fan, right? I'm like, no, I'm not a Miami Dolphins fan. And the only reason, the only reason it doesn't even make any sense, the only reason I'm not a Miami Dolphins fan is because my dad wasn't. So I guess my, my, dad's not, my dad doesn't like Miami Dolphins, but I don't like them either. Right? Jesus says, I want you to be like your heavenly father. And going back to when I was explaining about I was struggling with knowing who I was in Christ, it felt like this fog. It felt like I couldn't see straight. I couldn't, I couldn't hear God's voice. Well, I thought I heard God's voice, but I found out that it wasn't. And this book called Emotional Blackmail has this acronym. It's actually not my acronym. I like acronyms. God speaks to me through acronyms. But, <laughs> but anyway, so this is not my acronym. Um, it, f- it stands for FOG, fear, obligation, and guilt. Any of you ever had FOG? In this book, it talks about how the author was driving home one day, and he pulled up in the driveway and he tried to put his key in there, and it didn't work. He, it was foggy. He went to the wrong house. <laughs> Has anybody felt like you came to the wrong house? Like, man, well, I don't even know where I'm at. But Jesus broke through this fog that, that was, I, was, I was experiencing, and he said, you know, remember those times where you felt like I was telling you that, you messed up and you shouldn't just, I didn't love you. That wasn't my voice. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice, and that wasn't God's voice. Jesus said, when I speak to you, I'm kind. I'm patient. I'm long-suffering. Thank you, Lord. I'm long-suffering. Sometimes I, I talk to you with some, a little energy. If you're in, in harm's way but I'm kind. And as we learn to detect God's voice, it will help us to learn how to love like he loves. We treat people based on the God that we serve. If if I serve money, if I worship fame, I will start treating people that way. We take on the characteristics of who we worship. And Jesus says, hey, man, receive God's love for you. Know that I'm kind to you. And when you're able to receive God's love for you, you're able to love yourself and love others. And this is very important. After Jesus got baptized, God the Father This is my son in whom I am well pleased. And if Jesus, God, our Savior, 
I believe he needed to hear that. He was getting ready for his ministry. I believe he needed to hear that. He needed to know that his father loved him. And once we understand how much he loves us, it helps us to love others. The scripture says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Or love your neighbor at the same degree that you love yourself. Not in a humanistic way, but. So if I love myself a little or if I'm kind to myself a little bit, guess what? I'm going to be kind to others a little bit. God says, learn my character. Learn my character to the point where you're able to lay down your life like the first martyr, Stephen. Stephen could have been like, you know what, I'm out. You know, y'all can have this Jesus thing. Uh, You know, it looks like y'all going to try to kill me. So I'm out. But I believe Stephen had a revelation of God's love and God's love for his creation so much that he was willing to give his life. Jesus said, a new commandment I give you. Don't just love people the way you you love yourself, but love people the way I love you. And by God's grace, by getting on the cart, we can do it, can't we? We can do it, can't we? The third thing we need to do in order to learn how to be ripened, learn how to grow in this maturity process and loving is to learn the reward of mature love. Here's the thing. God is raising up. He wants to raise up champions. He wants to raise up world changers. People that change the world by God's grace is those who are mature in their love. That will love those who slap them in their face or spit in their face like Christ did. Experience. Like Mother Teresa, Martin Luther King. They had mature love, didn't they? And God used them to help change the world. There's a passage in Revelation that talks about how believers in heaven are are crying. And I've heard different interpretations on it. One of them is they're crying because there's loved ones that won't get to come to heaven. There's another interpretation that says they're, they're, they're crying because they lost out on rewards in heaven. You know there's going to be a banquet in heaven? They're going to give out rewards. Jesus is going to give out rewards. And many believe that this, these, this, these tears represent, man, lost opportunity on earth. They're saved, but they've lost out on the opportunity. Jesus said, when I was hungry, you came to, you came to feed me. When I was down and out, you touched me, you prayed for me. And God will reward us as we touch those that's hurting. If the church is not for hurting people, we might as well just close the door, right? If the church is just all perfect and odor-free and just enter ourselves, we might as well close the door, right? We're here to help touch people that are hurting. 
And God wants to raise up some champions in this room to help change the world. There's a story I, I, I ran across. I think it's pretty cool. And this man went out to observe this beehive. And as he's observing, he saw a little... He saw a little bee hovering. That was pretty good. That's a good movement, ain't it? <laughs> Sorry. Hovering, kind of with his head down. And he noticed that one side of the beehive that there was a, a mist like coming out of it. And so these bees are called fanner bees. And their job is to help bring in fresh air and push out the bad air or the, ba- the air that's been in there for a while. God is calling us to be fanner bees. Fanner bees, their job is to keep the hive sweet and fresh. That's their job. And just like Jesus said, you are salt and light. Jesus is calling us to bring the sweetness of his spirit and the freshness of his spirit into this world. And I believe we do it by being empowered by him to love in a mature way. Is God not good? bow our heads. I believe there's someone here that has never heard the sweet voice sweet voice of a Savior that came to die. And he's waiting for you. When I joined the military, I went off. I knew better. I grew up in church. But God used a soldier to come get me. I wasn't looking for God, but God was looking for me. And God is looking for someone someone who hasn't received. Someone who hasn't experienced this character from this loving father. We have different voices in relationship with ourselves. We have self-talk. We have the talk from the enemy how we talk back to him. We have another form of talk, how we talk to other people and how we talk to God. And God's saying, you're here today and I have nothing but hope and love for you. And I'm here to come get you. If you're here and you've never given your life to Christ, if you've never allowed this good shepherd to become, to 
I just want you to raise your hand. You don't have to be afraid. We'll wait a little bit. Sometimes you hear people say something and it's like, is he serious? I felt this was a word for us. God wants to raise up world changers in this room. And I believe he's serious about it. He's serious that he can use us, not through our own strength, but through God's strength. Amen. Come, let's pray. God, we thank you so much. For your grace and your mercy, God, you share with us. God, you're such a role model. You never tell us to do anything. You're a great leader. You never tell us to do anything that you aren't willing to do yourself, that you are, that you haven't already done. And God, we thank you that you set the example for us. And God, give us the, the strength to run to go your way and to have a mature love because we've learned about your character because we've learned how to bless those who curse us and that we've learned that there's a reward because we are more and more becoming like you and we thank you and it's in Jesus name we pray and everybody says amen can we give the Lord a praise God is so good, and we love you so much, and God wants to equip you to go out and take this love and take it out to our world. Amen. We love you. Have a great week, and we'll see you Sunday. Hey, we're so glad you listened in. If you made a decision to follow Christ today or would like more information, please email us at nextsteps at c2church.com or visit us at c2church.com.